Welcome to the podcast. We're street smart, business smart, all kinds of smart people share their insights into the world of marketing, career journeys, and personal growth. So sit back and prepare to get enlightened with your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and brightest from the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity to drive your career forward. Tribe, I am extremely excited to introduce my guest today, Max Stossel. He is an award-winning poet and filmmaker and named by Forbes as one of the best storytellers of the year. And me personally, I had the privilege to experience his poetry firsthand this past summer at our sacred space in Vermont to kick off our annual spring outing in front of our giant prehistoric fire. I mean, it was epic. His energy, his flow, and his message hit me deep down inside, and my fire was lit. And for those of you unfamiliar with Max, his performances across five continents, from Lincoln Center here in New York to the Horton Pavilion in Sydney, have been described as mind-expanding, profound, emotive, and hilarious all at once. And his work has been translated into 14 languages, won tons of awards, been viewed 20 million times. You get the picture. And if you haven't seen his workout work yet, I highly recommend that you check it out. A little bit of background on Max. He's also the head of education at the Center for Humane Technology, an organization of former tech insiders and CEOs dedicated to realigning technology with humans' best interests. And we're going to get into that and talk about what that means. I mean, listen, I could go on and on and talk about him. There's a lot more on his website, but let's get right to it. Max, welcome to the podcast. Whew. Thank you for that introduction. Wow. I feel like we can stop right there. And we can stop there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so before we get in, I definitely want to talk a lot about like your approach to really merging the fields of, of, of social media and human interaction. But before you made this pivot into full-time content creation, let's give my tribe a little bit of a backstory about your career, how you got from where you were to where you are now. Sure. Um, so when I was in college, uh, I was getting my first job and they were like, hey, you're young, go figure out social media. Uh, and so I was working for a, a healthcare startup and they were having some trouble making sales and gathering leads. And then all of a sudden I was gathering a bunch of leads on Facebook and Twitter. And they were like, whoa, what are you doing? How are you doing that? And I was like, wow, Sorcery. I, can be good. I can be good at this social media thing. I don't have to go to school for it. Like, that's great. I don't really like studying. I'm not so good at school. So great. I'll be a social media person. Um, I ended up doing the social media advertising things first at uh, an agency called Anomaly. I'm doing social strategy for, for Budweiser. Uh, and then like, it was, so, it was so early, but like doing the smallest changes at the time were like, oh my God, this kid's a genius. He's not posting our press releases. He's posting pictures of beer. And now that works really, really well. It was, just, it was very easy back then to be a star in the social media world. Um, and in doing that, I got connected with, uh, with Gary Vaynerchuk, who hired me on the spot and was like, let me mentor you, which was, uh, I learned so much from that man. Actually, one of my business regrets is not taking more advantage of that mentorship because um, I'm so afraid to ask him for anything because he's right. so big on his like jab, 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 right hook thing. But anyway, I um, was working social media uh, and then fell in love with startup world, did a social media startup for a little while. And that was in doing that was where I started to recognize the power that we have as designers of these products where, oh, wow, design decisions actually really change the amount of time that we spend on them. And you didn't choose to spend more time on my thing. I made some changes. And now all of a sudden, across the board, there's, there's just more time being spent. Like, I didn't 
you didn't make that choice. I did. That's a lot of responsibility starting yeah. to recognize, oh, the entirety of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, these whole worlds are based around how do we grab and hold your time. And that was when I started meeting Tristan Harris and thinking about ethical technology. And that led into the Center for Humane Technology on that side of things. The poetry in like 2013, 2014, I heard a poet named NQ perform. I was like, that was dope. That was on, the way, <laughs> on the way home, I started writing about why I liked it. First two lines rhymed. And I was like, huh, okay, I can do this. And now here we are, um, six-ish years later. And it's, I've got this one-man show. I'm doing that out in LA on November 6th. Uh, have done many sold out uh, performances here in New York and one in San Francisco, trying to figure out where that goes next from here. But that's been the deepest, most aligned to my purpose and who I am fulfilling sides of my life is performing um, poetry or spoken word or whatever it might be called, but carrying the essence of a message and helping that land in an audience. That's awesome. I and mean, were you always a performer? Like when you were a kid, were you like like doing like talent shows and kind of stand up? Were you like the ham of the family or I was something that came later on in life? <laughs> I was a jock. I was a uh, soccer was my life. And um, yeah, this really, it came much later and just sort of unlocked something in me. And so I always say, if you're inspired at all by my work, like try, start writing. Like that's how it happened for me. Um, and it's been such a deeply fulfilling part of who I am and my career. And so if you're moved, give it a go, because that's how it starts. Yeah, and the piece that I love is that you're combining your knowledge and your experience with your passion, right? Like you have this innate ability to be a natural born storyteller. You're an incredible writer and you put it all together. So let's talk about, you know, the, the concept of realigning technology with humans' best interest, because I think that's really the common theme throughout all of your work. Let's, un let's unpack that a little bit. And you have this inside knowledge, because you, you've seen how these systems work, the gamification element, the, the addictive, um, pieces and tools and, 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 and elements in it to really keep us locked in. Let's unpack that a little bit and how you bring that to life. How I bring to life the sharing of that information. Exactly. Um, so yeah, so this was definitely a merging of my two worlds because when I, when I met Tristan and was really inspired by, by what he was doing, I wrote this poem, um, which later turned into being called This Panda is Dancing. Uh, and I was like, wow, okay, I really think this, this movement deserves more attention. And I've been good so far at turning my poetry, these messages into short films and getting, getting that attention, putting attention on issues that I think are important. And so I, uh, I turned that video into a, a short film. One thing that I think I recognized because of my background was there's so much content and some of this is Gary Vaynerchuk stuff, right? There's so much content on the internet. There is just this infinite pool of stuff. Uh, for a while, it was like more content created from the beginning of time to 2003, created every 48 hours. I'm sure it's now more like 24 or yeah, five hours. Um, so, so much stuff. And so like, why should anybody give a crap about my stuff? And I think, I think one of the reasons for my success with those, with those videos that have, gone, that have gone viral is like, that I really thought to myself, like, why should anyone care with like the most skeptical and not about me attitude of just like, I have to cut through everything. Like, why, like, it needs to be so good that people are like, wow, like this stands out from everything. And I think I've come to believe that with content creation, that there are two approaches, both of which I think are very valuable. One is put stuff out, like go, 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 create, create, create. Yep. It's not up to you, like what people find valuable, some things will hit, it'll resonate mm -hmm. for someone and that's all that matters. And to be honest, I'm much like, I'm leaning more towards that way now. I think the truth is my art was so important to me that in the early days, I couldn't bear to like put things out in this other digital context that didn't seem to really be what it was 
what it was. And I wanted to create the first things I made to be really quite like aligned with like, yes, this is it. I'm taking the essence of the message and I'm getting it to work in this digital box that I'm trying to put together. And it's, I'm going to make that land through the screen. I'm going to make that land. And I worked so hard and spent months like, and tried to find the best people to like make that happen. Now that I feel like, okay, there's a base online of like, you get, like, I feel more comfortable. Ah, put, you like, established. But right. Let's see what works. Um, in some ways I want to acknowledge like that was insecurity. Like if you're secure enough to be like, you know what, I'm just going to throw it out. And when something hits great, I think that's a great strategy. But for yeah. me, I really wanted it to land through the screen. And so that was like, I really made a high production with the most skeptical attitude of like, how can I make this really stand out? And which of my pieces is really good enough? Because that's a hard one too, right? We create a lot. And then if we're thinking about what do we want to invest in creating into like a video, especially something like that, that's going to be high quality. Let's have a, let's like not get lost in our own like ego of like, oh, my stuff is great. It's like, well, you know what? Actually, I think that one might be good enough um, to, to invest all this time and effort into yeah, and I feel you, and I'm on a content journey myself there. So let's take it a step back a little bit. I mean, you gain some real inside knowledge into how these systems work and how these platforms work. And, you know, that's kind of like where, where you take all your content. And you have mentioned that your goal and mission is to help illustrate what a more beautiful world could look like where technology is on our team, yeah. right? And, you know, being able to protect us from manipulation and helping us thrive. How could we get from where we are now, right? This addictive, this gamified system of, you know, everyone walking down their street with their heads down and not taking in the inside world. I mean, people literally fucking walking into each other, walking into traffic, getting hit by buses and taking it back to a world where our life is not ruled by social media. How do we, how do we get back? I know such a huge question here, but like, how can we start to get back to that? And, and like, how could the social media platforms take responsibility? I mean, I will pause here for a second. I think it's important that if you don't know that social media platforms make money by the more time you are spent on it, that's how they design these things. So it's counterintuitive to get us off of them. But if we are going to be on them, how could they help make us more efficient and, and more engaged? With right. And yeah. one helpful metaphor in that is that if, we're not the, if you're not the customer, you are the product in these digital environments, right? I don't pay for Instagram. I don't pay for no. Facebook. So that means I am the thing being sold because they sure are making a lot of money. They're selling your attention to advertisers. Right. And so from a platform standpoint, what are some things that they could do that would help be more on our team? And when you think about a social network, for me, of like, what would it look like for a piece of technology to be deeply caring and thinking about the nature and strength of our social lives? So what would it look like if they were really measuring and optimizing, how do I spend more physical time or like FaceTime with people that I deeply care about? Or what are new opportunities or experiences around me or digitally that I would later rate as meaningful? Like not just that I would do, we got to separate just like time spent being the ultimate metric here. But what are the sort of experiences that really I like that I later think are deeply meaningful or satisfying, which like, and in some ways there's a weird perverse thing happening where if they really knew what deeply mattered to us, like our values, Oh, like I want to live more boldly, more creatively, more honestly, like what would it look like to actually help us in the things that we're most trying to do or be? That's like a very different system, right? Than Facebook or Instagram yeah, as totally. it exists now. And a lot of times you think it's, it's all right. And it's just, it's not about the screen first and foremost. Like the screen is a tool, a vehicle towards our lives. And I think that's a big distinction that needs to start to break or change to put us more on the right direction of letting this stuff help us. Are they making the platforms making any effort for this? So they don't just don't give a shit. 
baby steps, I think. And like the like people what? working at these companies are good people, right? Yeah, like no it's one's not the evil empire. It's not the right, Death Star. Not, ha, ha, ha. Like that's, that's not what's going <laughs> Cupertino on. Cupertino isn't the Death Star over there, right? But oh, there's big questions. And this is a lot of what the Center for, <laughs> Center for Humane Technology is working on is how do you change the incentive structures? Because right now, a lot of the bonuses are tied to like, oh, great. You hit the metric. You increase yeah, time on Or ad rev, right? Right. And so it's so... I think it'll be a slow process. And in the meantime, we absolutely need to figure it out ourselves, right? Of how can we better resist the pull? How can we have healthier relationships with these devices? Um, and it can't fall all on, on the Right, I mean, we have, to, we have to take, take personal responsibility. Too. I mean, I think like, you know, the iPhone and the other devices, you know, showing screen time, I get my reports every day. And I'll be honest with you, dude, I am completely addicted to my phone. I, I admit it, it's a deep, terrible addiction from the professional side. You know, I'm a recruiter, I'm always checking updates and someone accepted, they respond. Like, I mean, that's, that's the response mechanism that they've built there, right? Those notifications. But I also sadly see it in my kids and it's something I wanna talk about a little bit too. You know, you talk a lot about educating in the age of distraction. I have two small kids, I have a seven and a half year old daughter and a one and a half year old son. Mm-hmm. My daughter, and listen, there's a time and a place when I give them that iPad that is for me. Yeah. So I could have, I can make dinner. I could take care of my younger kid, right? And that's where it helps too. But I see them, they have the zombie mode on, like they're fully in. And my daughter, she's getting more into the games now. And, and, I, and I protect her. And we could talk about, you know, that whole world in a little bit. But they're zombies. They're, you know, they're attracted to it. So let's talk a little bit. I mean, because you go to schools and you're talking to parents and PTAs and everything. And you're giving them the tools on how to address the education in, in like the social emotional world in the digital, digital age. So let's talk about some tips that you give when educating parents and educators. Sure. So the first and hardest one, and you admitted it yourself, is of like leading by example, right? <laughs> the worst, dude. <laughs> and it's funny because I'm, I'm, we're living in New York, right? And if you go on the subway, and I often from the parents are like these kids, the kids, they're all addicted to the phones, the kids. Um, and if you look around on the subway, the kids are often too young to have phones and every adult in their whole car is just head down zombie down on the phones you only see the kids who are our necks are gonna get stuck like this I'm looking look- around and the kids are the only ones looking around and with their heads not completely in a device and then of course when your parents are doing that when you know the adults around you are doing that the, you're gonna be so excited to get this thing that everybody's attention is on all the time yeah you want what you can't have Right. And leading, leading by example, also in like when you're, if you're talking to your seven year old and your phone buzzes on the table, it's like having the self control to not like not let that buzz be more important than the real world interaction. And that's hard. Like, I don't want to say that's easy. You're spot on in that. And one thing that we do in our family, there's certain times when the phone is physically away. So meals off golden rule in our house, like hard rule phone has to be in another room on the table. Zones. Yeah. Zones are great. Uh, bedroom sometimes or dinner tables can screen be monitoring right how many hours you're on it monitoring the sites that they're on right um but uh let's so yeah, that leading by example and then another helpful tool with inter- uh another helpful tool in that is saying like if you are reaching for the phone like if you are like hey i need to call this person because i'm doing this and then afterwards i'm going to put it down kind of really help illustrating how it's a tool for you and saying this is what i'm using it for after that i'm putting it down um, yeah. So that you can model that behavior for them as well. Uh, it's tough. It's really tough, and there's so many different elements of this. Other things people have found helpful: uh, turning off all notifications that are not from a human being trying mm-hmm. to reach you. So no happy holidays from Tinder. You haven't played Candy Crush in a while. This person has liked your photo. Um, those might be algorithmically generated, mm-hmm. and just really trying to grab you and pull you in. Um, that one can be helpful too. 
That's such a good tip too. And I talked, I did it on my phone too, where I only have the settings for really important things. And that's helped a lot because that buzzes, you're picking it up, that brights up, you're, 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 you're picking that up as well. And for me, you know, I'm really trying to set a good example for my kids. But again, at the same time, you know, Gary talks about that too, with technology he's talked about. It. He's like, I'd rather my kid understand how to use this technology than not at all. Otherwise they're going to fall behind the curve, but there's a balance there. Yeah. I, I mean, I disagree with Gary on this one and it would be a sure. terrifying thing to debate Gary in any sort of we can make that happen. That is, that is the most like compelling human being that I've ever had the pleasure of getting to know. Um, and he's a very persuasive person. Um, but for me, like, it doesn't seem like, especially in the schools I'm going to and the parents I'm talking to, it doesn't seem like we're at risk of not understanding or knowing how to use these platforms or not being familiar with them. It's like the exposure is there and happening like period. What it feels like we are at risk of is not understanding what existence is like without them, of what socializing yes. is like without them. And so for me, with my kids, when I have them, and I don't have kids, so I want to be, be not that you know that. Not that I know of. <laughs> I'm pretty confident that I don't have kids. Um, and I'm, I like, I want to create as much of a baseline as I can of life without phone and life without social media so that when it's introduced, and I imagine there will be like then a burnout period, there will be all sorts of like overload. It seems like we go through that. All of us, we do. And I hope by the time that I have kids, there'll be technology that'll be better designed. So it won't be such a hard challenge, but I would much rather have a baseline of this is what life is like so that that could be returned to and we can remember what those meaningful social interactions feel like so that we don't get tricked into believing that just this is what life is this pre preliminary research i just heard about which is scary for me and again some of this is scare stuff and like takes a time for research to really confirm but where it would uh they were saying once if you're exposed at a young age to like the digital rewards at like your brain literally starts to respond better to those digital rewards than physical rewards so in the right, conditions Right. You, you literally start to like, they become more important in your life later on. And so it would be even harder to, to go off. Yeah. But it's, it's, your kids are the guinea pigs. Yeah, it's I mean, totally it, unfair, it's but your kids balance. are the guinea pigs. It's a tough balance. And we really try to be mindful too, because you know, there's the entertainment value on there. It's the same thing. It's the same thing in the seventies and eighties when I grew up of a parent plopping you in front of the TV. Right. It's, it's still, you know, having, having that distraction there. So there's, there's a delicate balance there, but I think, you know, it really comes down to the parent taking responsibility, limiting screen time, monitoring what your kids are watching, really understanding what they're doing. And there's a lot of great stuff out there. I mean, my kids do reading and educational games, which is super beneficial. That has a lot of those gamification elements. So, you know, th th there's pros and cons to everything there. And it's about responsible parenting and really monitoring everything. Um, so sure. let's, and I, let's, I truly, I don't mean to like teach their own, like please. do, do you for sure. You know, uh, one thing like, I do feel like it's different. It seems like a different category shift from TV. It was, it was similar to putting the kid in front of a TV, but like there weren't a thousand engineers on the other side of the TV, updating the TV every day to make it more personally <laughs> engaging for you. You weren't carrying the TV around 24 hours a day, seven yeah, days a week. Too much, too much bigger um, back then. Yeah, and you didn't, have to, <laughs> you didn't have to go inside the TV to talk to your friends or to do your work. No. So it's like, there seems to be a different category of of thing happening here. Right. And it comes down to attention, which is the next piece I want to talk about, you know, the current state of attraction um, economy. So let's unpack that and explain that a little bit to my tribe. Like what is, you know, what is attraction economy and like, how is that impacting humanity? People. Extraction economy? Or attraction economy? economy? Yeah. Um, I never attraction. heard the term attraction economy. 
attention 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 economy. economy. <laughs> um, the attention economy is that your time is our money that your time is the where the value is being derived from some of the biggest companies in the world uh, that's based on an advertising model and so if I can get your attention I can get ad revenue and so that's what so much of our economy is now based on especially when it comes to media and and screens and so one thing that I feel like is worth talking about here is that that system makes it very hard to look at you as a let's call it a 30 I'm assuming you're 30 years old um, a 30 I appreciate year old that man. 40 yeah I appreciate that <laughs> uh, yeah. for a 40 year old man um, and I got this much of your attention this year and I need more of it next year to keep my shareholders happy and so if somebody else is created a new trick that's really good at grabbing your attention I kind of feel like I need to do that trick too because you're you only have 24 hours in your day and I need I need more of it Tristan likes to talk about how it takes nine months to grow new attention hmm. um, so it becomes this race to the bottom of just what works at grabbing and holding attention. And in that system, like, you know, Donald Trump is a great example of something that's, he's wonderful at creating, grabbing attention. Like he, he is it. fantastic at it. He is better than anyone I've seen. I've seen that he's actually really good at something. Or, or I know everything he says or does immediately everybody is talking about. And so in, in our media ecosystem, that's the type of thing that rises to the top, the most extreme, the most outrageous, the most talk aboutable. Um, but often that's not necessarily aligned with the, with the people or things we might want to be focusing our attention on, right? When you drive by on the highway, a car on fire, everybody sort of slows down, right? But do we want our, all of our attention on screens to be shifted towards the different fires or scary things? Um, actually, I'll send you, there's a, a video of like a chimp scrolling through Instagram. I don't know if you've seen that. No, not yet. And it's really jarring for me because you watch the chimp, like you watch it go through all the base things that I feel like we're doing, which is he sees other chimps in one photo. And so he stops and he looks at that. And then he goes back and he sees a snake, a sort of a scary thing. He looks at that. It looks at the snake. And then he sees like a woman in a bikini and he clicks on that. But like the reflection of self, sex, and fear, <laughs> it feels like those are the things. The that primal we, instincts. Literally. Yeah, the primal yeah. instincts are grabbing our attention. Oh, man. And it's, a whole deep ecosystem that pushes us that way. What kind of world does that create? Yeah, and we have to, we have to protect it ourselves there. So I assume you've seen the movie The Great Hack. I, 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 I assume, safe assumption there. How, based on your experience and you know your professional expertise here, you know how much of that movie is true? I mean, is is this all this data coming back and really just destroying us and kicking us in the ass? Like they know everything. I'm less worried about the data than most people. Um, so. I feel like in this field, um, I also, to me, in some ways, that movie felt to me like they were describing what advertising is, but just putting really ominous music in the background. <laughs> was little, I was scared. I was watching it on a flight and I was kind of like curled up against the window and like, I was happy that my phone was in airplane mode at the time. <laughs> it was, uh, I don't like, and I, it might be my own ignorance, but it just, and I guess at mass scales with things like elections, when you can use data in that precise amount of targeting, that is reason to concern or to take different steps to the platform. But I just don't believe that for most people we're actually that persuadable, even if you have a lot of data on us. And some of the like very specific targeting is interesting and worth worth, worth looking at. But I'm maybe you know maybe just ignorant on this topic. Uh, I, I'd be surprised if like 
we're really that if it really works that well. I, I think I think I think where it's a little misleading because I, I think that there's a lot of people that just are easily persuaded and compelled by social media and and seeing it in their storyline. I mean, I think us as New Yorkers and a lot of other intelligent people across the country, it's a relatively small percentage. But you think about what happened happened in the last election. I'm not even gonna get too political about it, but you know, when something is forefront, top of mind, it's in every one of your fields, it's gonna have an effect on a certain amount of people that are easily persuaded and and, and we kind of saw it happen there. And it's uh it's scary. But what it is scary. What I just don't like about that is like, if it doesn't work, I don't like thinking, well, if it doesn't work on, it works on them, but not on me. And it's like, the them is made up of me's, you know? <laughs> um, and so I, I do like to, I do like to think of like, huh, is this really, is this really the root cause here? Is this really what's happening? Are we being persuaded through social media or is there other stuff in play? Because right. I don't, other I don't fears, think, other deeply rooted yeah, just other stuff going on. Because I think if it doesn't work on, if, if I don't feel like it's persuading me, I'd be surprised if it's, pers- you know, if it's persuading others or so many others so much more than it's persuading me. Yeah. But, so on, the, on that same note, like with, you know, so much of us, our, our, our personal information, our data there, I'd love to get your take on how we can protect our, ourselves, you know, while we're on social, right? And I'm not talking about your credit card information or everything, but how do we, you know, how do we protect our identity? How do we protect ourselves and, 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 and you know, really be true, but at the same time, you know, keeping, keeping stuff private. I, so in the same way that I probably to privacy experts just had a very ignorant answer to that last question. I don't know what the, the best steps and practices are in the yeah, privacy. Social media. My attitude yeah, and also my thoughts are like stuff is out there now. It's pretty hard to, and if somebody's really trying to go after your stuff, they're probably going to. Um, one thing that I found interesting that stayed in my mind was like not using your real birthday on hmm a lot of sign up things because that can be a piece of information that people use for data validation point for security checks and everything. Right. It's like it's often things are asking for your birth date that don't really need it and not giving Hmm. you real birth date to things that don't really need it is something that I take on personally, but I am not a privacy expert and don't want to pretend to be. Cool. Let's shift gears a little bit to your, to your creative work. I mean, dude, it's fucking, your work is beautiful. Like I've been sharing it ever since I, I, I came back from Vermont. I've been like literally like, sending it to everybody it's like it's like a quick copy paste to everybody everyone's like holy shit who is this dude let's talk about this creative process a little bit right first i want to understand like when when you have a concept in your head for 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 a piece of work poetry are you also thinking about the video in the end are you focusing first on the content um it's a great question in the most of the time it's the writing is first and it's more like oh my god i'm getting hit with the thing the thing is happening i got to get the thing down got to catch it got to catch the thing did subway love um, happen on the subway just quick interjection yeah absolutely you're on the subway west, you had this concept like west side story kind of meeting west 4th street and i was like yeah. thinking about just like how hard it is to connect in new york city and look at all these people and staring into the tunnel and then got hit with it i was like we look like these urban soldiers wait ooh that's poetic urban soldiers waiting for the train and then that really came out in like 45 minutes, that whole thing. Wow. Um, and yeah, I really believe Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic, I think is a pretty awesome way of looking at like how creative, how creativity works. And I think it's like the ideas come and we try to grab them and put them down. Uh, the Stop Making Murderers famous video was one that I was thinking about um, Great the piece. video for while I was writing. Um, because social media was so baked into that idea. And that's a piece about like how this, the copycat effect with mass shootings and how we glorify and create this infamy that is sometimes desirable for, um, for shooters. And 
And I was thinking about the video during the writing process of that one, but most of the time it's concept first, write, get it down. Oh, I hope it can be something that can be performed. We'll see how that looks or feels. And then if it feels, the video process for me was, if this is one that's really well received and people are saying, oh my God, can you send me that poem? Can you send that to me? Um, then start to maybe invest into the video. I love it. Side of things. So you like a comedian, you know, like how, like, like Jerry Seinfeld will like literally show up at comic strip live to like test out material. Like do you kind of test things during your live show and then like, you know, test pieces, test concepts and then blow it out into a full blown, you know, piece of work. I don't do enough of that is the truth. I should do more testing and going, yeah, honestly, I want to try to do stand up. Really? Um, is that what is it? Yeah. <laughs> just cause for, cause my show is an hour of poetry and it's got comedy in it. Um, but, for an hour of poetry to work it's got to be it's got to be funny it can be too it can be very intense um for an audience if it's if there's not comedy in there uh but yeah i would love to do more testing is the is the truth i think the reality is like once i'm on stage i still want to give people like my like my best stuff that i like i'll go in thinking okay i'm going to test this and then once i'm up there i'm like no i want to like i want to give the full experience um but it would be beneficial for me. To I love it. it. And so let's talk about the video process. So now you have the, this piece of written work, like are you working with different um, directors and animators and effects guys for each one? Or do you have a team that you've established that understands kind of your vision and your flow? What does that look like? So the first one, uh, I, there's someone named Matthew Friedel. And I was looking, I was like, huh, there's so much content on the internet. A lot of the visual stuff that's being done to me felt disconnected from story. It felt like really cool visually, but not tied to the, the story or idea of the message and I really care deeply about story and so I found Matthew Friedel was someone who created you ever see the this is water um David Foster Wallace uh, no no it's like I'll a have to check it out story. it's beautiful I highly recommend this is water yeah this is water uh and it's he had created that video and he had so beautifully taken David Foster Wallace's words and turned them into video and I was like yes like he just enhanced the words and made it visual that's exactly what I want and so I cold called him, performed the poem for him over the phone and was like, hey, will you do this with me? And he was like, you don't have a budget? I was like, no, but he was like, just fly me out, we'll do it. And I was like, yes. And honestly, I so lucked out because nice. I was being very naive in thinking, mm -hmm. oh, just a videographer. I need a videographer. He turned out to be a director, a cinematographer, a effects person. He just was the whole package, which is really rare. Um, and then after that, I met someone named Sander Van Dyke, who was one of the most brilliant animators, uh, motion graphics people in the world. And I worked with him on the, on the other two. Uh, and, and I'll pause here because people that are, are listening here, I mean, you have to go to his website. I'm going to link everybody in a minute. You have to check this shit out. I showed it to my wife the other night for the first time. And she ended up watching Subway Love, I think three times in a row. Like she was like, who are these people? It like, means a lot to me. No, yeah. I mean, dude, it was, it was incredible, man. I mean, um, just for a quick tidbit, I mean, you're, you're a digital marketing guy at heart, man. How do you apply your knowledge on audience growth to, to, your, to your medium here and to your art? How do you grow your audience? So badly. I do it so badly. Shame. Um, Shame. It's, it's, a, it's fun. I feel the tension big time. Even in my videos, like I didn't do the first three seconds tactics of like, got to grab people in. Things that work. It's like mm -hmm. within my art, I couldn't bear. I couldn't bear to do it. You have to be true to your work, right? Yeah. Like you, you don't want to like like meld a tactic in there that's not true to what you're doing. Yeah, and so and okay. like because I have my aversions to social media and a feeling so fake and phony in many ways to me, I have a lot of trouble. I have a lot of trouble. Like on my goals list right now is like create a social media strategy that's consistent and doesn't make you hate yourself. Oh God, that's, um, <laughs> that's like an oxymoron. It's... And that's the challenge for me. Um, and I. 
I want to get better. I just like, and one thing that's been helpful for me more recently is like, Hey, if you're putting something out that helps one person, that is worthwhile. It's like, can I create content consistently that is really like deeply aligned to try to help one person? It's so interesting because I believe a lot of people say that, but they don't mean it. Yeah. I think a lot of people say that. And I think it's, it's, a, it's kind of bullshit too, because I think ultimately our inner goal is as many eyeballs, monetization, scaling as possible, because I think it's kind of human nature. But I agree with you too, because like in, in, oh God, it's kind of a double edged sword. Because I say when I put out this podcast, my goal is if one freaking person watches this and they take an action on it, and, and, I'm, and, and they're inspired or they, or they help them get a job or something, then mission accomplished. And I believe in that. Yeah, but you know what? Like if, if 10 more people watch in, I get 10 more people jobs or I get 10 more clients, that, does, that doesn't hurt either. <laughs> right? Let's it keep, starts to, it's, right? it's exciting. But mm-hmm. I love that you were like, I feel like people say that and don't do it because I think that's true. <laughs> I think it's so hard to really be like, okay, what's the motivation here? What's the incentive? Am I sharing this beca- because like I'm trying to help somebody or am I sharing this because, ooh, I want, the, I want the likes, I want the feel good. And I, I, I want to get better about thinking, what is something that someone needs to hear today? Like, how can I, and can I really separate myself from like, I don't care if four people like this, I don't care. Like if zero people like this, I don't care. I'm going to try. Stop, stop being a metrics whore, right? Stop being an attention mongrel and, and looking for those likes. And I mean, that's part of the system. It's so like, hard. Get, to, it's genuinely hard, hard for us to, to do, right? I'm guilty of it. Not getting the likes feels bad, right? does it just feels like oh no, like that I, means no one likes me that, so we we put it we put that on it but how great would it be to not feel that way how great would it be to be able to create content to share the things that we feel like matter to be measuring our own success as like fuck yeah like i was i just helped that person or like i just gave this piece of value maybe made this person laugh like whatever it might be but just take it away from this got the numbers towards like i i created and like value has been overused. I like, I created an experience or something meaningful for a person and like that felt really good or for lots of people. And that felt really good. Yeah. It's, it's a interesting. very different ecosystem than what would exist today. Well, is it, going is it, is it, is Instagram testing removing the likes? They are in Canada, I believe. Um, oh, in, be- in, 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 in a small section, right? Cause imagine well, the Kardashians, imagine like the Kardashians or any of these influencers that remove the likes, like how are you going to monetize it? How are they going to know how many people are, I think they're still showing them on the back on end. The back so you end. can still show, and which is so interesting because yeah. then still a lot of the no, influencers they are both. driven in the same way. It's, it's hard, right? Yeah. It's funny how those little changes change so much or so little all at once. But yeah. it's, it'll, I think that's a step in the right direction. It is, and it's a testable proposition. Yeah, and I'm glad, they're, I'm glad they're giving that a go. So all this kind of brings up a word that gets thrown around a lot, but it's authentic, authenticity. But what, what does that word mean to you, Max? I hate it in the social context because right, it's so like it's so overused. And what does it mean? Yeah, what does it mean? What Vulnerable, does it mean? authentic. Vulnerability has become a competition on social media. It so, so who is. Who can be more vulnerable? And it's creating so much fake authenticity. It's bullshit. It does. It. I feel like it's very hard to be authentic by the definition people are giving on social media. Right by nature, social media we're capturing a little box or a little piece of a moment or of our lives. And we're saying, look, look here, here's what's going on. And it imitates life in a way that is close enough that it's actually kind of looks like that might be what's going on. Even this piece of content we're creating right now, I'm sharing one very limited sliver of who I am, of what we're talking about, of this topic. We're not talking about the insecurities that are going on in my life, in your life right now. We're not talking about- That's a separate show, man. (laughs) It's a separate show, and if it were, it wouldn't also wouldn't be the whole picture, right? But it's it's presenting as we brand ourselves and create these profiles and these images, we're presenting this 
this thing, this close to reality picture that eliminates very important human pieces that just makes it very hard to like, I, I don't, I don't believe, I don't believe there's such a thing as authentic social media. There are a couple of people who I think do it really well. All things considered Gary does it really well. All things He's considered. a real um, Amber Ray is someone who I think does it really well. All things considered. I love humans of New York. I think that's yes, beautiful. my wife's favorite site. It's really, I think that's a beautiful capturing mm -hmm. of like a moment and humanizing person by person. But in general, like mm -hmm. I couldn't give you very many more examples of people that I see where I'm like, they're doing like they're doing it. That's like that's what it looks like. Yeah, I love um, it, man. So, a couple of questions I ask every guest here. You know, the the first one is, what is the single best piece of advice that you've ever received that you take action on daily, that you're mindful of, that you make sure that you keep that in the back of your mind that you're true to? Single best piece of advice I've ever received that I take action on daily. It's a tough one. Single best piece yeah, of advice. Yeah, think about it. It's all good. Daily, daily. Um, well, actually, one, this is what comes to mind right now, uh, is I have a practice called Beauty in the Day um, from my roommate, Adam, who created this, which is throughout the day, I am sort of on the lookout in the back of my mind for something that is beautiful. And then I write that down in a journal, and then I date it. And then a year later, uh, I reach out to the person who it was about and I say, Hey, a year ago today, you told me this, or you said this, or you did this. And I just thought that was really beautiful. I like that. Um, and it's really a little bit of a, gratitude practice in there too. It's been, it's like a gratitude practice. It's a beauty practice and it creates these incredible moments where like, you don't remember what you said or did like a year ago. And to be able to have that moment in benchmark has been a really, I like that. I think, I think I might try to practice that one too. Um, I don't know how much you think about legacy and how much that means to you. But if, you know, if I was going to ask you, if I am going to ask you right now, you know, what, like at this point of your life right now, you know, if today was your last day on earth, what legacy would you want to leave behind? How would you want to be remembered? Yeah. Um, I want to be remembered as somebody who helped people see the beauty in humanity and in their own lives, um, who helped see the world around them difficult, like see the world around them differently. And, um, and yeah, just like to see the incredible, spectacular opportunity and gift that we have to be alive and that helped us love ourselves and each other. I love it. And what is your superpower? What do you do better than almost anyone in this planet? I see to the essence. I like see through the, through the bullshit to the essence of what is there. And I think I can share and help deliver mm -hmm. that essence as a package uh, from, from here to you in a way that lands. Um, and I think at, at my best, a poem is for one moment, we're looking at this thing, like the thing that we try to communicate with words are so far removed from reality. Words are like, I have a thought and I have, sorry, I have an experience that turns into thoughts and emotions that turns into words that is very far removed from the, from the thing itself. It's like putting something into Google translate and then putting it three times in languages back and forth and then <laughs> sharing it. But it's one of the best ways we have of communicating. Um, but I think my poetry at its best grabs the essence and like actually just for a moment like we're looking at the same thing the same true moment together and i think i i think that is my superpowers being able to cut through the the disconnection the illusion of separateness towards looking at it together for a moment that is beautiful man and, and last but not least right like not every day is sunshine rainbows and on time new york city transit system not every day is like that <laughs> 
Some days suck. Some days it's a 95 degree stuck in the subway, sweating your balls off, right? And then other days are just beautiful. You're seeing so much beauty in life and gratitude and everything. When things are not so great and when things are amazing, what do you look to? What, Max Stossel, what is your North Star? Yeah, gratitude is definitely a big practice when things aren't good because no matter how bad, thing, bad things are, like I'm here and I'm conscious and I'm alive and returning, returning to the beauty of that. Um, when I'm feel like more recently when I've been going through like intense negative feelings, I've been feeling of like, uh, uh, trying to have the perspective of gratitude of like, wow, like I get to feel this much of like, I, and I'm living in a way that this is the flip side of like, I've jumped high enough that I will fall this hard. And so like, I'm grateful that that's how I'm living. I do want a big life and a big life involves big negative emotions. That's where I am right now. And okay, I'm going to be in that. And then not isolating, going outside, talking to friends. Yes. When I isolate, I'm in bad place with that stuff. And I'm, I, I live it. with a roommate that I love yeah. living with a roommate. I do not like living alone yeah. um, for that very reason, to have friends, lean on community That's in those incredible. situations. And Max, what's next for you? What are you, take, where are you taking this deaf poetry slam jam to? What's next? <laughs> um, LA, I got the show in LA, November 6th. I would love to see anybody listening there. Um, there's still some tickets left for that one. Uh, and then I'm figuring out where to bring the show next. I love the show. I'm bring so back proud to New of York. the show. I don't know exactly. Like, it's a, I need to figure out how to, like, once people are at the show, they love it. And it's right. amazing. I need to figure out how to, what, a poetry show, huh? What is that? We need more fire problem. dancers. We need... <laughs> fire dancers are good marketing. But yeah, right. I would love to, you know, perform at conferences, events, looking yes. to do more shows. And so I would love to, anybody listening who wants to see that I work and wants to book me, reach out. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll, we'll talk about that offline because I've got some ideas in, in my network oh, as well. I want to help you get your, your word out there. You know, my superpower is connecting. I'm a connection conduit, right? Like I, I connect the dots of two desperate pieces. You may not know this person or this person and I'm that middleman who brings it together. So I'm going to do that. Max, thank you for coming on the show. I, I thank appreciate you for it. having me. It's been so my, my closing thoughts here, I was going to approach it kind of like, I was going to like write my own rap, my own like Wu-Tang song and I, I just failed at it. So I'm just going to go <laughs> at it right here. So <laughs> closing thoughts. Max's purpose is to illustrate what a more beautiful world would look like if we use the power of technology for good. His use of words, imagery, AR, and incredibly beautiful video production bring his thoughts to life and resonate deep in stock of us. <laughs> more importantly, his work evokes emotion and action to think more critically about how our social media engagement and interaction affects us individually and those close to us and society as a whole. It causes us to reflect, react, and hopefully recalibrate, keyword recalibrate. Think about what you're doing there. And for better or worse, social media is ingrained in our everyday lives and society. Being mindful and present, and every once in a while, pick your head up and take a look at the beauty of the world in front of you and not in front of your screen. And if you've not checked out Max Online, please do so now. Subway Love is one, you know, is time well spent and it's required viewing. And I think everybody needs to check it out. And I'm definitely going to link that when I share this show. Max, thank you for coming on. I look forward to continuing to build our relationship and finding synergies. Where could people find you? Um, thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me and me too. Uh, you can find me at wordsthatmove.com, um, www.wordsthatmove.com. I'm on all the social things as at Max Stossel, M-A-X-S-T-O-S-S-E-L. Um, and yeah, I would love to see you at a show. Most of all is what really those are the yes. closest to my heart. We're going to post dates and all that. Hopefully get Max back in New York pretty soon here. Max, thank you. I thank appreciate you. you and your time coming on. Thank you. Great talking.
And to everyone listening, thank you again for joining us on the podcast. Please remember all the social media channels that we just talked tons of shit about. Links below. No, there are good. There's a lot of good in all of that. Thank you for subscribing, commenting, LinkedIn, sharing with your friends. Remember, take your online offline. I implore you to do that. Go outside, see the world, and catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode jam-packed with more incredible humans. For more info, please visit www.nhptalentgroup.com.